Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome back, rappers. It's good to be with you again today. Uh, excited to let you listen to this podcast. Uh, I actually was invited to go and speak at the Spanish Fort Church of Christ for their family vacation Bible school and was given kind of a tough topic. The topic was selflessness, and they asked me to speak on Joshua and on the wall uh, of Jericho. So that's what this podcast will be. Let me say just before we push play on this so you can hear it, uh, where I was coming from in preparing this lesson. Uh, I really struggled with trying to figure out how to talk about selflessness with Joshua. I I worried about, I didn't want to take anything out of context. I want to be very clear that uh, Joshua was a terrific leader and he was always out in front. And I did a survey of several of the stories in his life leading up to Jericho and that moment where the march around the walls and the walls fall down. And what I ended up doing was I found, uh, and this has always bothered me in Hebrews, that he's the only one in that Hall of Fame of Faith that's not mentioned by name, but it's mentioned what he did. And it's about the Israelites there in Hebrews chapter 11. And there's a couple times that the Israelites themselves as a group are mentioned. And in this particular one that we'll reference in this podcast uh, was regarding Joshua. And he uh, does not get the credit, or at least it doesn't seem like he gets the credit in Hebrews. But there's no doubt that he was a great leader. And I think that really it shows the idea of the selfless attitude of Joshua. And even the writer of the Hebrews felt he didn't need to give Joshua all the credit. He seems to be level-headed and he's a very good leader. And uh, we're going to talk about him in this particular message. And I hope you enjoy it. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Joshua chapter 5 and 6. That's where we're going to camp out tonight. Uh, The topic tonight is about Joshua, and specifically our theme is about selflessness. So we'll address the topic and also the character of Joshua in tonight's uh, message. So there are so many people mentioned in the, the lesson in Hebrews, you know, where Paul in Hebrews 11 goes through that hall of fame of faith, the heroes of faith. And I always, I like names and I like stories. And so I will, in my Bible, not this one, this is my preaching Bible. I don't write anything in my preaching Bible because I, you know, I have ADD. So I'm like, Ooh, there's a little, what did I write there? And I'm, but in my study Bible, I have written next to each of those characters a scripture reference so that I can go back and see in Genesis or wherever the story may be. But in this particular one, and you may not have even noticed this. It skips right over Joshua. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Moses. And then twice, it talks about the Israelites. It doesn't even mention Joshua by name. And that, that's always kind of caught my attention. Why is it? I mean, Rahab's mentioned by name and they're in first. So why isn't Joshua mentioned by name? And I think that comes to something we're talking about tonight. Is his, his attitude, his perspective of just being completely selfless. Instead, in uh, Joshua 11, or in Hebrews 11, verse 30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled it for seven days. By faith, the Israelites accomplished this. So Joshua kind of gets lumped in. Even though he's the leader, he's, he's the, the man who's out in front, he gets listed with all the other Israelites. 
Because they see him as just one of the people. Now, if you've read earlier in, uh, in Exodus and you move on through into the other books, you find Joshua is already a leader. Uh, in fact, he's one of the 12 spies that are sent in to see the land. He and Caleb alone are the ones that come back and give the good report. So Joshua should be, in fact, I will argue that he may be the greatest military leader the Israelites ever had. He comes in, and remember, he's, he's 40 years older than everybody else. And he comes in, and he and Caleb say, hey, we're going to conquer this mountain, and we're going to conquer this mountain. And they're slaying giants, and they're taking hills, and they're moving into houses, and they're enjoying vineyards and, and crops that they didn't plant, walking into houses with closets full of clothes that they didn't buy. And so they literally walk into this land, and they get everything. It's all theirs. I have never walked up to a house and knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm here to claim it. But they did. They walked into the houses and they just took them over. They walked into the cities and they just took them over. So all of their gold, all their possessions, now that becomes a contention, if you read the next couple chapters, specifically with AI. But they, they had everything they could have ever wanted. And in fact, how's the description? Do you remember of them spying out the land? What did they say it was a land flowing with? Milk and honey. Oh, it had, it had all of the delicacies that you could ever want. And so now... They're here standing with Jericho in the way. And they've got to make a very important decision as to how to move forward. Now, Joshua has followed Moses for most of his adult life. He was there when they were getting the Ten Commandments from the Lord at Mount Sinai. Uh, He was there during the rebellion of Korah. He was there at the time that Moses gave the full law. He was there when Moses died. And they took the books of the law and put them into the ark. He was there whenever they traveled through all of those countries. And basically for 40 years, they walked in circles and did funerals. Joshua was there. Joshua was there the whole time. And so now it's time. It's his time to shine. It's his time to take the front. And I love his his personality through the book. And when you begin to look at some of the things, he only really messes up one time. And that's when he takes some people at their word, which you would think you should be able to do. They were foreigners from a land nearby, and they lied about being foreigners from a land further away. But Joshua here, in this story, places himself, though it's not mentioned in Hebrews 11, as one of the greatest men of faith in the Bible. I want to read with you Joshua 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. You see the door is shut. Little graphic up here, you got the door is shut. It's sealed. They are not coming out. They are not going in. This means that the city of Jericho had enough water and food and supplies to last them. That they did not worry about these Israelites walking around the wall. They did not care. They were fortified. They had everything they needed. So here comes Joshua coming up. And remember, everybody knows about them. Remember Rahab? She knew about them. So we know you guys. You're the ones that God took you out of Egypt. You're the ones who God parted the Red Sea and let you through. They know all these stories about God. But for whatever reason, they say, we're not afraid. We'll just kind of stay here and we won't provoke them. Now listen to the next few verses. So the Lord said to Joshua, verse 2, See, I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around all the city once. This you should do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout 
with a loud or great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Verse 6. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed, march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests, hearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the Ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice. Nor shall you proceed, uh, the word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I say to you, shout, and then you'll shout. Now let me pause there and we'll come back to verse 11. This is interesting. We're doing this as a vacation Bible school topic. And I wonder what it would be like if we told our kids for every day of vacation Bible school, you can't make a sound. Okay? Can you imagine what that would be like? These are adults. And Joshua says, whatever you do, don't make a peep. So... Let's just kind of put ourselves in this perspective. This is, this, is, this, is, this is one of God's ways of showing his sense of humor. This is hilarious. This is, you've got the army who has waited for 40 years. All they've heard is about our parents didn't do it and our grandparents didn't do it. And Joshua says, we're going to take the city, but here's what I need you to do. We're going to walk around in circles. They've been walking in circles for 40 years. I just need you to do it for seven more days. And so they walk around, and they're not saying anything. It's not like they're shouting up, we're coming after you. You know, there's no provocation. It's just, they're all walking in a circle. Now, they're blowing horns, they got the trumpets, they got all these things, the armed men behind. You see this, it's a parade. Now, we've been to parades before. What do people usually do in parades? They shout, they sing, there's music that precedes it. And he says, I need you to just walk along, don't say anything. Now look at verse 11. So, they have the ark of the Lord, circle the city, Going around at once, and they came to the camp and lodged in the camp. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. They do this for seven days. Then it says in verse 13, the seven, seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued to blow their trumpets. Now, did you ever notice sometimes in the Bible that things are repeated for a reason? That something is said over and over and over to grab our attention. It's showing that the only ones who are actually making noise or any of those that are actually helping in this processional are those that are surrounding the ark. The ark is the most important part of this parade. Because it is God who's going to be speaking. It is God who's going to be taking the wall down. Not the people. I don't care how many times you walk around a city, you cannot bust up the foundation with your feet. You know, if so, that's a weak foundation. This wall, this, this city was huge, huge city. And so they, they walking around it. Don't think for a moment that they, by walking around it, somehow loosened up the gravel or the concrete or whatever the fixture may be. They, that's not what happened. God is teaching them patience. He's teaching them in silence. You don't need to say anything. I'm going to work here. I'm going to do the job. Keep reading with me. It says, in the seventh time... It happened. The priests blew their trumpets, verse 16. Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And so now it says the city shall uh, be doomed by the Lord of destruction. It and all who are in it. 
Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. It says, and when you, by all means, abstain from the cursed things, lest you become a curse when you take of those accursed things. That's a, that's a future point. You might want to mark that later when you read the next couple chapters. And then he, it says, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. In other words, basically, Joshua is going to curse the ground. And when the city is completely leveled, it would never be allowed to be raised again. Now, there are a few cultures that have tried to do it, but for the most part, it has, it has been leveled since this day. Let me point out a few things about Joseph, or Joseph, Joshua and his leadership style. The first thing that I want you to see is he takes inventory of the situation. He looks at the situation and he says, here's what we've got to do. He listens to the voice of God and he's thinking about the betterment of the congregation. He's thinking about everybody else around him. Have you ever made a mistake before and you have to think about it for a long time until you can fix it? That's one reason why we watch the Olympics. You know, the, well, you know, back here in 2004, he, he only got the silver. And so you're like, oh, he got the silver? What's he going to do this year? He's going to get the gold. You know, you, you get into the story. You're like, they've been here in the playoffs six straight years and they can't win, you know. Or maybe they're the Cubs and that's the reason why they can't win. I don't know, but I'm a Cardinals fan. But I'm saying that whatever it is, you, you, you see the underdog and you go, oh. And if you've ever been in that situation where you've done something wrong and you have to wait to fix it for a long time, you have a lot of stewing. He's had 40 years to think about taking that city. And you remember what he said the last time he was there? We can do it. It was just him and Caleb. We can do it. So he takes inventory. He looks at everything around him and he says, hey, we're going to fix this. We're going we're to fix this. Sometimes when we meet a roadblock or an obstacle, the reason why we have to face it, it may not have anything to do with us. It may be that we're just in a place at the wrong time. And sometimes we, we go through something because a family member has to go through it, or a friend has to go through it, or as we get older, our children do something, and we have to live with the consequences. And this is, Joseph, this is, this is Joshua's story. Joshua has been through this for 40 years. He's waited, he's waited. God gives directions, and he says, follow it. And only two said, okay, we can do it. Now he's here. The Israelites had already gone through the Red Sea. They'd experienced the ten plagues. Joshua's saying, we can do this. Now, it's a giant wall. It's huge. It would have brought some anticipation by anybody walking up to it. I don't know if we can do this. I would be afraid to even open the door. But Joshua says we can do it. And he believes in the people. There's a couple times in Scripture where it says, stand still and see God work. One of them's in Exodus. Stand still and wait and see the will of God. The reason why this needs to be noted is because the Bible tells us twice in Proverbs in chapter 14, 12, and in 16, 25, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction. See, they said, we can't beat the giants. God says, oh, yes, you can. Well, we can't, we can't take this land. God says, yes, you can. So here Joshua said, I've waited, I've waited, it's my turn. In Psalm 52 and verse 1, it says, the goodness of God endures continually. If you miss out on a blessing because of a roadblock, just wait. In time, you'll receive that blessing. God is not withholding it from you 
He's holding it for you. And it's a big difference between the two. God is not putting a blessing in front of you saying, ah, I don't know, you're not really. It's kind of like when the dessert comes. See, I'm one of those guys that you can't tell. I love dessert. And I have always believed that you eat dessert first. In fact, when our seniors graduate each year and everybody writes the little notes about, oh, you know, do this, that, and that, whatever. You get the, all the places you'll go book, you know, and I always write the same thing. Jesus is coming soon. Eat dessert first. I say it every time, you know. Because one day we're going to be in line and go, wait, I don't know, I should have. I know Ray's going to talk, but man, those brownies are calling me. And so in this situation, Joshua's saying it's time to do something. He's going to receive a blessing. God has not withheld it from him. He's just holding it for a short time and the blessing will come. And that's what makes him a great leader is he knows that by sacrificing himself, his reputation, his name, and remember they had failed before. And when you're a leader and the leader before you has failed, Moses, the greatest leader they'd ever seen. He didn't get to go into the promised land, did he? Because he messed up. That makes you doubt your leaders. Because if Moses, the guy who wrote the first five books in our Bible, the law of Moses, if, he, if Moses couldn't get in, what's this Joshua guy going to do? Well, he's going to be successful. The second thing that I think we can learn is that being a selfless leader, we see that he doesn't second guess the map. You see, there were other ways to get around. It's not like Jericho was on this narrow strip of land and the sea was on both sides. What they wanted earlier was to go around the city. They didn't want to interact with the giants. They didn't want to interact with their enemies. And sometimes the only way to a blessing is to go straight through it. You say, oh, this is a, I don't want to have to go through this. Nobody wants to go through some of the things we go through. But when you deal with it, when you struggle through it, there's a blessing on the other side. We, we go through the storm and we, we curse the, the clouds and we curse the thunder and the rain and the lightning. And we, we're upset with the boat and it's not going the right direction. And we just, we get seasick. But God is trying to show us if he pilots the ship, we'll always end right where he wants us to be. And this is something that Joshua knows and he believes. Joshua knows that it's not about him. And that's the reason why he's so successful is he's thinking about his children, his grandchildren. He's thinking about all the other Israelites. And that's what we have to do in the church today. We have a tendency to think very selfishly. Well, this is what I want. This is what I want to see happen. I was at a church one time where we were having a pretty heated squabble between the gray hairs and the beardless ones, okay? The, little, the, the college-age high schoolers and the older crowd over here. I'm, I'm in the middle for a few more years. Don't pay attention to the hair, but... I, I remember this so vividly because the younger crowd is saying, well, they don't, they, well, they don't do anything we want them to do. We, we have to constantly get, we always, the old people say this and the old people say that. And we don't want to have to listen to them. And the older crowd sitting here going, that, we've paid for all this, okay? Y'all didn't pay anything. You don't drop anything in the plate. I put money in the plate. I'm the one who gives to this church. I built this building. You know, the paint is from my paintbrush. The work on the pews, the songbooks, I, I paid, I put my name in here. By John Smith and family. You know, and so the older crowd is just living with the younger crowd. And here's the younger crowd saying, well, keep talking. You're going to die out here in the wilderness. Because for the 40 years, you're last. This fighting, this infighting. And, and in this time, Moses writes a psalm, Psalm 90. Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. That's not because the older folks were dying out, but because the younger ones are going to eventually have to step up. 
this particular congregation, it was, it was interesting that both sides were saying the exact same thing. I want what I want. Neither side was thinking about what was better for the other group. And sometimes we do that in the church. We become selfish. Well, I don't know why they don't have more stuff for young adults. And I don't know why they don't have more stuff for the older group. I don't know why we don't do anything for the little kids. And I don't know why we spend all our money on the youth group. And we become so selfish that we make it about us. Joshua's the example. He says, it's not about you. They're conquering Jericho, not as a, uh, we're getting you back for all of our dead relatives, but he wants to see his children, his grandchildren, to inherit the promised land. Now, I could tell you, if you want to know the future, they're going to waste their time. They're going to make pacts with their enemies. They're going to do what all children do. Okay. That's why I always encourage people, if you've got some wealth, spend it. Don't leave it to your kids. You work for it. You know? These kids say, okay, we're going to come in and we're going to get the promised land. And, and Joshua's teaching them, don't second guess the map. You're going to have to go through Jericho to get your blessing. Church, Jesus had to go to Gethsemane. He had to go to the trials. He had to go to the cross before he could ever experience his resurrection. And we all have to go through, I don't know what it is, name your demon. I don't know what it is, but we have these things, these obstacles that we have to go through and we shouldn't second guess the map. He says, we're going through Jericho, like it or not, you're going to get in a line, you're going to march around it seven times, and then on the seventh day, we're going to march around it seven times in one day, and everything's just going to fall down. And you have to think, I do anyway, how the leaders thought about this. Because who's in the, that's the wall, who's in the city? Who's in the city? Giants! These guys, these huge guys, Goliath-sized guys that are all over this land, and, you know, I would think for 40 years, you're working on archery, you know, you're building cannonballs, you're, you know, you're feeding the kids miracle Grow. I don't know. But you, you don't want to face a giant army with a bunch of children that have walked around for 40 years griping about how they didn't get something. But Joshua knows they're ready. God knows they're ready. And God knows you're ready when you face your Jericho. You don't believe it. I don't want to go through it. At some point, you have to confront. You have to go through the doors. And that's what they're going to do. And God takes down the wall. And the fear of the wall falling down is what led to the destruction of all the leaders. That's why he says the king's yours, the men of valor, they're yours. They're all going to die at your hands. So he doesn't second guess the map. God's ways are higher than our ways. His plan is always better than our plan. And we, and we do. We have a pretty good plan. We sometimes say, well, yeah, if I were God, this is what I would do. This is how I would handle it. But thankfully, thankfully, his way is always better. And if I'll follow it, there'll be success. You remember uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 talks about the way of escape. There's always a way of escape. And people will use that. They'll say, well, you know, I go through this and maybe, maybe God doesn't provide a door, but maybe there's a window, you know, that I can go through. Jesus doesn't make excuses for himself when he faces the cross. Peter doesn't make excuses for the disciples when they're all going to face death. Whatever is in our path, we have to face it. And so he is showing by example. Could they go around it? I love James. James says, very, he says, brethren, you know, count all joy. Count it all joy when you face diverse trials and temptations. You know, God says, you may not believe in yourself, but I believe in you. You say, oh, I can't face Jericho. Yes, you can. 
I can't face the giant, Lord. You have no idea. Of course I do. God watches. He knows. The problem is we don't believe in ourselves. And yet the Bible tells us that he's given us a power that's greater than any power in the world. He's given us the most divine book ever written with specific instructions how to live a godly life. And we second guess the map. We, I know God says that if I just had enough faith, I could move a mountain. But man, my faith is weak. God says, Jesus says, if you could just maybe a, you know, you don't have to have this big coconut, but I'm just asking for a little mustard seed of faith. And that's what Joshua has is this, this mustard seed of faith that he's going to lead the people with. Third of all, selfless leaders lead by faith and not by fear. Good leaders are not led by fear. We spent a week at Titus Camp this last week. I love it, not just because we train young people how to use their uh, talents for God's glory in public speaking and teaching. We take 30 girls and 40 guys, train them all week, send them all to a local church on Sunday. We did that yesterday. And they all went to local congregations in Florence, which, by the way, you can do that. There's 144 there in the county, 120 in the county, 44 in the city limits. So we had plenty of places. We drove by 10 buildings before we took them to one. So there's a lot of churches. But we, I love being at Titus Camp also because I'm around all these other counselors and mentors. We had 59 kids and we had 61 counselors. So you do the math. There was one for every kid and a couple for a couple of them. But I love being around the counselors because we sit around and talk about things we would like to see done differently or what we're facing in our congregation or how we would like to see things change. And we get to a point midweek where we start talking about our own struggles. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I need prayer about. And I've seen this consistent theme in the last decade is that a lot of times our leaders lead out of fear. You know, we we have to do this because if we don't if we don't do it this is going to happen. Or if we do this, this is going to be the result. So we can't do it. Joshua leads by his faith. He says, this is what God has in store for me and for the people. And if to put it in a, a more uh, not so gentle term, Joshua had a backbone. And Joshua said, we're going to do this. And Joshua would have got that ark and carried it himself if he had to. Luckily, they believed in him. They knew he could do it. This is a guy who's vocal enough at the end of his life. He's about to die. His last words are something like this. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You could choose whatever God you want, but I am following the God that got me here. And so we need to lead by faith and not by fear. The words do not fear or do not be afraid are found 365 times in the Bible, you've probably heard that before. But I remind you of something Paul said. When it comes to fear, God has not given you that spirit. God has not given you the spirit of fear. People say, well, hate is the opposite of love. No, it's not. No, it's not. The opposite of love is fear. Now, Paul says that in 2 Timothy, but he also says it in 1 Corinthians 13. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love believes, love endures, love is not fearful. When you love the people of God, you want to do what's best, regardless of what somebody says or somebody feels or something. I have have unfortunately had to learn that you can't please everybody. That's a newsflash to some of us. We're like, I just want to make everybody happy. That's never going to happen. And if it does, you're probably doing something wrong. You're probably compromising something to try to make people happy. And so we have to lead with faith. 
Jesus is out walking on the water. You remember this story? Matthew tells us that as he's walking on the water, they see what they think is a ghost. Peter shouts out, hey, Lord, if it's you, call me out. Now, real faith, real faith. Where, where, did, where did Peter demonstrate his faith? Walking on the water? No, that's not where, that's not where the faith started. Was it when he called out? No, let me tell you where the faith of Peter is seen in that story. And that's when he let go of the boat. That's when he let go of the boat. Because I tell you, I, there's been times, I've never bungee jumped. I don't think I ever will. If you paid me a million dollars, I might. But I've seen these stories of these people and, and these, these TikToks and YouTube videos of these guys. Like, oh, let me do it. You know, they're holding on. If I were Peter, would I have let go of the boat? Would I have let go of the boat? Now, you could put one foot out, okay, if you're on the boat. But at some point, you're going to have to let go and take that other step. That's where Peter's faith is seen. He's not afraid in that moment. And you know why? Because he's looking at Jesus. When he looks at the wind, the waves, and the rain coming down, that's where he panics and fear settles. But if you will love me, Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. I don't serve God because I'm afraid of going to hell. I serve God because Jesus died for my soul and there's nothing I can do to thank him for it but just simply live a sacrificial life. There is nothing I can do to ever make God love me. He loves me in spite of what I do. He loves me even on my worst day. Paul puts it this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On your absolute worst day, Jesus says, if you were the only one and on your worst day, I still would have died for you. We, we follow God because of love, because of our faith, not because of fear. How much time we got? Anybody? Oh, you're done. How much time we got? Five minutes, two minutes, three minutes? Go, keep going. Okay. Number, number four. Number four. Selfless leaders keep their eyes on the road. You ever watch these drivers? We, we drove the interstate yesterday. I talked to them. I know they can't hear me. You know, I'm like, lady, get off your phone. You know, put both hands on the wheel. My favorite story, I did this in a devotional one night for Wednesday night. My, my son and I were passing a road and this lady, this is in Robertsdale, by the way, in front of Walmart. I hope it's, I don't think you were the ladies in here, but anyway, this lady she's driving by. She's got her hand on her phone, except for this pinky. I'll tell you what that pinky was doing in a minute. She's on the phone and she's eating a cheeseburger, okay, while she's driving with her knee, all right? And I, I nudge my son. I'm like, look at that. Oh, my goodness. She then takes the pinky and begins to pick her nose. And I'm like, that, I don't know whether that's a gift. I don't, she's able to do all these things at once. And that's the way people sometimes drive on the road. They're not paying attention. What happens in our walk as it was for Joshua and Jericho, is we stop looking at the road. We, we tend to focus on the things in the rearview mirror. We, we tend to think about, the, I'll talk about looking back in just a second. But we've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. That's what, that's what Peter was doing right at first. So we've got to keep our focus on, on Jesus. And Joshua was thinking about the congregation. Sometimes our leaders, and I know I'm, I'm, this is a tough one, but sometimes our leaders can become almost narcissistic, that it's all about them and it's all about what they want. I was reading a track one time. There was a brother in Christ and he wrote this track. 
how I baptized 3,000 people in 10 years or something like that. And he was passing it out at a gospel meeting. He wasn't even speaking at this gospel meeting. <laughs> he was passing these tracts out. And I thought, okay, how is that track going to bring somebody to Christ? How is you bragging about what you're doing, even though it's a good thing? Isn't that pride? Pride comes before uh, a fall, right? So if we want to be great leaders in the kingdom, we keep our eyes on the road, on the task, on the work. Jesus says, you put your hands on that plow, and if you look back, what? You're not fit for the kingdom. There's a salty story in the Old Testament. Remember that one? Lot's wife turns around. And you know, what's really sad about that whole story is even Lot and his daughters were sinful, but God still got them out. For whatever reason, maybe she was rubbernecking, like we do with accidents down here. You know, we see accident, we want to drive real slow and see what happens. We diagnose it's the scene. I did that a minute ago. We were driving. I said, oh, it looks like one of the workers overheated because they got a water dumping it over his head. He's probably okay. Already making an assessment of things going on. I've not got my eyes on the road. And Joshua is keeping his eyes on the road. He knows where he wants to go. And it is straight through those walls of Jericho. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, we also are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight which, and sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. You know, my, my sacrifice, it's happening. He says, I, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. Every person is going to receive the same reward if they're faithful. And I think that's why Joshua is dedicated. He wants everyone to get a reward. Uh, he wants everyone to be able to enjoy eternity. In order to do that, we have to change our mind, our thinking. I'm easily distracted. I love clouds. That's one of, if I ever die in a car wreck, it's because I was looking at clouds. I, I love clouds. I love to look. And there will be times when I'm going to the building, I'll catch myself outside just standing there. Uh, I don't know if Christy will ever pull up and save the videos for me because we've got security cameras everywhere. But there's times I just stand and I just look. I remember one time being in Gulf Shores on Father's Day about five years ago. And I'm standing in the parking lot, and a bald eagle begins to circle the church building. And I couldn't move from my spot until it flew back to wherever it came from. I'd never seen one that close to the beach. And sometimes we, we look at things, and, and they're amazing things. They're good things. But we tend to keep our focus on that instead of what is really important. We've all had this issue with our children. You know, we get worked up, go to a baseball game. That umpire doesn't have a clue. I'm the only one that knows how the call should have been made. And we're all about that event. We're all about saying what we want to say. We're yelling at the TV in the middle of the football game. We just we get so wrapped up in that moment. But we, we also have to remember that we are the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And if I am representing Jesus, Jesus has a couple moments. We'll give that to him. He has the one where he clears the temple. Okay? He gets upset at the money changers. He clears the temple. He does that with zeal, the Bible says. But if I'm supposed to demonstrate Christ and my children see me using words or phrases or statements that are unchristlike, how will that impact them? Uh, I was at a church in North Alabama and there was a little boy. It was during a fellowship meal, actually. We didn't have a, a fellowship hall, so we ate inside the auditorium. 
And this little boy goes down the, the aisle and he says a bad word. Now, this isn't a potty word. We had potty words in our house. You get your mouth washed out for potty words. They're, they're not curse words, but they're just as bad. Slang, things like that. You don't say that word. This was a full-on cuss word running down the aisle. And his mom, she just freezes, you know. And she looks and she goes, I have no idea where he heard that. And I wanted to say, well, he's about four years old. He doesn't go to daycare. He uh, lives with you. You're a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to guess one of two places that came from. And our kids do things. You know, I'm not saying, you know, our kids make mistakes. They say a lot of things. Sometimes our kids say things we wish we could say. But there are other times that they say things we, we wish they would not say. And good leaders keep their eyes focused on what it's all about. If I'm representing Jesus, then I have to think about what I say. Uh, Philippians 2.5 says, seek the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what are you going to be remembered for? What, what's, what are we studying Joshua for? What is he being remembered for? Note this. The Israelites would not be known for their mistakes. You will not be known, praise God, you will not be known for your trauma, for your sin, for your mistakes. God doesn't look down on us and go, oh, there's that little adulterer. You know, remember we've forgiven that one three or four times. There's that little liar. There's the guy who cheated on his taxes. There's the woman who cheated on her husband. God doesn't look at us like that. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. And I try to remind our teenagers are really uh, struggling with this now. I guess we believe our church does, uh, Missy and I and our youth minister, uh, Brandon, have gone through mental health first aid for youth so that we can spot the signs whenever our children are going through things. We had an elder's granddaughter who took her life just a few months ago. Been, well, it's been about nine months, hasn't it? And uh, she found out in the middle of Bible class, or right as Bible class was starting. And uh, the aunt, our, our secretary, was so distraught, she came running through the auditorium to go to the other building to tell her parents. Distraught. So the whole auditorium knows something's wrong. Goes to the, goes to the fellowship hall. All the children know something is wrong. So we as a congregation had to decide, what do you do about that? Like, some churches would just stand up and go, okay, everybody turn to song number one. And we decided as a church that we were going to pause and spend some time in prayer for that family, which is what we should have done. But as time went by, our elders said, we've got to be better trained to spot these things in our kids before it happens, whatever it takes. And so we're, we try to learn. We try to keep our focus and look at things. A good Christian, as a child of God, if I'm going to represent Jesus, Jesus had compassion on the people because he saw needs. We'll never be able to meet needs if we don't see it. So we have to be more attentive when people are hurting. Our first response usually is, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great at church. You know, that candid, how you doing? How you doing? Great. And you hesitate when somebody goes, well, you know, I had a doctor's appointment Thursday. Man, the Baptists are going to beat us to the restaurant. We're not ready for that. We don't want the conversation. We love people. We're supposed to. But we don't want to engage in conversation because we're afraid that they're going to have to share their struggle. And then I'm going to have to say I'm going to pray for them. And I, my father-in-law tells this joke all the time. I love telling it. He says there's a story about this guy walking down the street, the preacher. He sees a guy on the other sidewalk and he goes, oh, there's John. I said I was going to pray for him. He goes, Lord be with John. Hey, John, I've been praying for you. And that's kind of, that's kind of sometimes we tell people we're going to pray for them. So I challenge you to do this. Instead of saying, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to put you on my prayer list, 
why don't you just stop where you are in that moment and pray for them right there? I don't care where you are. It doesn't matter. You're on the phone with them. Don't you hang up without praying for them because they need it in that moment. They've shared their pain with you. We have to stay focused. And this is why Joshua's a great leader. He listens to the people. He listens to God. And he leads by his example. And this is where we make a big difference in this world is that our faith is shown by our action. And we are moving forward in our faith. The last point is don't look back. Joshua could have, wow, he could have had a speech here when the walls came down. He could have stood up and said, your parents couldn't get this done, you know. He could have said, we shouldn't be here. We, we, do you realize, and some people do that to us when we are shamed, when we have crisis or trauma, they want to bring it up all the time. They want to say, oh yeah, you remember when this happened? Let me tell you what God does with our past. And there are several verses. Let me just give you a few. Your sins are blotted out. They are remembered no more. They are separated as far as the east is from the west. They are buried in the depth of the ocean. They are forgotten. You get the point? Your mistakes, your trauma, your sadness, your pain, depression, anxiety, PTSD, put it in a category. God says wherever you've been, whatever you've been through, and the mistakes even you've made, God says I want to take that and I want to cast it away. And we lay it for the cross and say, Jesus, take this. And he does. Jesus says, let me take your burden and I'll give you mine. Mine's lighter. You on judgment day will not be remembered for the mistakes you've made because you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. And you're forgiven and you're given the Holy Spirit to help you, guide you as you bear more fruit for the kingdom. And so we, we have to learn. We can forgive other people, but church, we've got to learn to forgive ourselves. Joshua forgives the people. He's one of the only two guys. You realize he spent 40 years waiting to get into the promised land? Do you think that Joshua was waiting for all those elders to die? Do, do you think that he was going, man, there's that guy. He was one of the 12 with me, kids. You see him? He's going to die before we get there, but I'm going to make it in. That's not Joshua's attitude. Joshua's attitude is to lead the people. You don't look back at your past. Again, you, you keep your hands on the plow moving forward. We, we can't think about what the church was like in the 70s. You know? We can't think about where we were in the 60s or during the restoration movement. We're moving forward. We look back. We say these are things that we've done. But when we do look back, we begin to see all of our failures. So rear view mirror needs to get torn off. Paul says, I'm not that same person. And the idea is, going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, is I'm a new creature in Christ. And I tell every kid, I did this, we had three baptisms this week. And I tell them every time, you have just graduated from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Okay, you've come out of the chrysalis, the baptism is a new creature, and you're coming up and you're walking a new life. And that means that the butterfly doesn't go back to caterpillar ways. I let go of everything that got me here. And I tell them, when you come out of this water, it doesn't matter what you've done. I don't care. It doesn't matter because it is right here where you leave it. And don't pick it up again. You're a new creature. Jesus tells Nicodemus, be born again. And so I don't need to constantly look back at all of my mistakes and all of my failures. The Bible uses terms like victory, uh, overcomer. And I like those words because we don't look back. They had made some big mistakes. And we, we blame them too, don't we? Have you ever found yourself reading Genesis? Be honest. Have you read Exodus and go, man, those guys were so foolish. I would never do anything. If I had seen the parting of the Red Sea, I'd have been faithful the rest of my life, I'm telling you. If I had seen those 10 plagues, 
If I were Moses and I saw the burning bush, I wouldn't have hit that rock. We, we, we look at the stories and we go, man, that's not me. That's not me. Which of the disciples are we? Maybe I'm like Peter. Now, I kept my foot in my mouth sometimes, but I got on the right track. There's a little bit of Judas in all of us. And there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. There's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. But praise God, they were not remembered for their faults and their failures. They were remembered for entering into their reward. And we enter through Jericho. We bust the wall down. We move forward. We grow. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says we do not lose heart because we're renewed daily. Every morning I get up and I breathe new life. You know, Adam... Can you imagine what was going through his brain when he took his breath for the first time? He knew nothing before. What was his first thought? God, it says he breathed through his nostrils the breath of life. You have an Adam-like experience every morning. You wake up. With me, you, I breathe through the CPAP machine. But we breathe. We breathe. And we get up and we start our day as we should. And we have two choices. We can either get up and, man, I'm going to grumble and bumble and fumble through this day, or I'm going to get up and say, God, you've given me another day in this world. And yesterday was yesterday. Today is today. And I'm not promised tomorrow. So what am I going to do this morning? What am I going to do? The Israelites move on. Joshua needed to make sure they knew we can't waste any more time. And it's something that we need to learn here in the church as well, as we focus on moving forward. What's best for me? What's best for the church? What's best for our children? And that's the reason why, why Joshua is so successful is he's constantly looking at the next battle. He'll go to another city and he'll take that hill and he'll go to another city and he'll take that hill. Caleb, he's won a walking stick. I'm going to take that mountain. And he does. He takes the mountain. Can you imagine being in your 80s or being close to 100? I can't. I can't. I'm not there yet. But I can't imagine what it would have been like for, here Joshua saying, we're going to do this. And what, what frame of reference do they have? This is the most important part of Joshua's story. Who is he leading into the promised land? Most of the people that he was leading were 40 and under. A considerable large amount, maybe over three quarters of a million people that he was leading into the promised land never saw the parting of the Red Sea. They didn't see the ten plagues. They weren't there to witness Moses getting the Ten Commandments off of the mountain. All they're doing is following and believing in the stories of Joshua. Our children haven't seen the things we've seen. They haven't experienced the things we've experienced. And the only way they'll learn is for us to share our story. Have you ever talked to your kids about what you did the day you decided to become a Christian? I mean, have you really, have you really told them? I'm not saying you confess all your sins to your kids, but I'm saying... Can you, can you share with your children? That's a good place to start. I hope you did that with your spouse when you were getting married. This is what I did to become a New Testament Christian. Share that with your children. Find somebody that you can share your story with. It doesn't matter who it is. Be just somebody you're comfortable with. Let me tell you my story. That's why I love men's meetings because men, men are not very good at that. Women can sit down and they can talk about everything. You know, they could sit next to somebody that's a total stranger doing their nails and they could talk for 45 minutes about I don't know what. Okay, but guys are, we're more, you know, introverted when it comes to talking about that. We'll talk about sports and, you know, we'll arm wrestle each other and whatever. But find somebody that you can share your story with. Joshua found his niche 
is he got these elders together that were going to be the next leaders. And he said, here's where we've been and here's where we need to go. Good leaders have that vision and they don't look back. Forget your past. Leave it in the past. Today is the present. It's a gift, right? So we need to look forward. And I'll leave you with this. We all run into a wall from time to time. We all reach that moment where we feel like we just, we're not sure we can go any further. Not sure I can try any harder. Not sure I can accomplish something. Jesus says all you need is a mustard seed of faith. Now here's, here's the newsflash. God is still good all the time. God was good to Moses. God was good to Joshua. The same God that brought the Israelites to the Red Sea and delivered them from the plagues and walked with them through Egypt into the promised land for 40 years walking around, their shoes not wearing out, having food dropped out of the sky. All that time, God was with them. God was with them when they blow the trumpets and the walls fall down in Jericho. The rubble all around, they make their way in. That God is your God. He is your God. If we would just have a mustard seed worth of faith that, that our God can do the impossible. See, we, we, even when we pray, we have doubts. You know, Lord, I, and I've prayed this prayer. Lord, I, I pray that this is what you want. I pray this is your will. But if not, you know, I'll learn to be content in whatever state I'm in. And it's almost, we, it's almost like we are trying to give God an excuse not to give the request. When we forget that our God is a miracle worker. That our God is a heart changer. And so we have to trust that whatever our obstacle is, he can and he will get us through. Paul puts it this way. Whatever situation we're in, God can work it together for good. A lot of people made a lot of messes in their life. Moses made some messes. Joshua made some messes. But ultimately, good came from those struggles. Same with us. So well, I've got a lot of stuff, Lord. He says, I can work with that. If he could work with Rahab, who, by the way, gets name credit. Joshua doesn't in Hebrews 11. Just think about that. He's so selfless, it's okay. He didn't have to have his name at the top of the trophy. Joshua isn't mentioned, but Rahab is. That's how God works. And he takes the most broken people, like Rahab, and makes her the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. So don't think about your fault and failure. Think about how your struggle, your story, will change the future generations. That's what he does. That's how God works. He's worked that way since Genesis. Oh, you're going to eat the fruit? All right. Well, through you, I'll provide a seed to save the world. David, sin with Bathsheba. Sorry, the child's got to die, but I'll give you another son. You'll call him Solomon, and he'll build the temple. God uses that, and he makes good come from it. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. 
It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.